phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello and welcome back to Federation Radio with your host, Floyd, once again. So, we're up to episode 16, which is, I've got to say, it's an episode called Shore Leave. And this is the first of, uh, there's a weird, there's a weird subsect of Starfleet, not Starfleet, Star Trek episodes that are just strange. They're just outright weird. They don't fit the theme of the rest of the show. They don't fit a lot of things. And they almost feel more like you're watching some kind of fairy tale episode. And they happen a surprising amount. They're not not all the time, but like throughout the shows. And it keeps going right up until Voyager. I've got one in mind already that happens all the way then, like past the 2000, past the year 2000 mark, whereas this is still the 60s. So like for a good 30 years or so, these weird episodes where they just wanted to explore obviously weird stories and I think a lot of it is also what do we have on hand in the back sets because they don't have enough money to make new things they don't want to repeat new characters but they want to use different background sets and they go and look at what's in supply what movies were filmed here before and a lot of the time these weird episodes come from a combination of what's available and what they can come up with on a very small budget now, this episode is actually kind of cool. I mean, it's not a great episode. It's probably one of the first ones so far that I'd say you can just outright skip if you're watching because there's just not much that happens here. But I will say, this episode has an interesting idea where they find this planet. I guess they've been doing mapping missions because they don't seem to know anything about the planet. They come down, according to all of their scans, the planet has no life. So there should be no intelligent life, no animal life, no insect life. But there is a little bit of, like, water, and it's meant to be grassy with some trees. So the basics, a good place for the crew to have some shore leave and just relax for a while and shifts. But very quickly, shit gets weird. Like, McCoy's down there with a couple of other people. They've all split up in groups of two. He's with Sulu. Sulu, who, by the way, I said when we first saw Sulu, he was in the botanist um, room, which is a room we haven't been back to yet. But I did say that I forgot he was a botanist because it never comes up, and I guess I was wrong. Because in this episode, him and McCoy are walking, and Sulu says, well, I'm going to go and check out the fauna. And he goes over and starts taking scans of the plants and looking at all the flowers and stuff like that. Which, you know... So there you go, Sulu is still a botanist, it does come up, maybe it's just my memory, I didn't remember, but there you go. Another reference to the fact that he is not just a helmsman, but a botanist. But while he's looking away, Dr. McCoy sees a rabbit, and it's the rabbit from Alice in Wonderland, it's complaining about how it's going to be late, and pulls out its little gold watch, and then runs off. And then a young girl with blonde hair, who's obviously meant to be Alice, comes past and sort of asks where, which way did the rabbit go, and he points towards him and sends her off. And at this point, the music is different. The music's all corny. They're playing different background songs we haven't heard before that make it sound a lot more like it's meant to be a cartoon. And that, that theme kind of just continues for the rest of the episode. We get McCoy sees that. He calls out to Sulu. Sulu didn't see anything because he was looking at the plants at the time. So he calls the ship and says, I don't know if I was hallucinating. Kurt comes down to check it out. 
and see what's going on, thinking that the Doctor was just messing with him because the Doctor's been trying to get him to take sure leave and he just keeps refusing. So Kirk naturally assumed this is just a joke, this is him messing with me. He's trying to get me to come down to the planet so he can order me to take leave. But he says, whatever, I'll come have a look anyway. And he discovers the footprints, well, the paw prints, I guess you'd call it, because the rabbit that McCoy thinks he may have hallucinated has left prints in the ground. Kirk can see them. He then temporarily cancels shore leave for all crews and starts asking everyone who is on the shore on the uh, current scouting party to meet up in a glade in the forest a little way back. Now they start investigating and things just keep getting weirder. The yeoman that he comes down with, who by the way is not Yeoman Rand, I don't remember her name, this one. For now I'm going to say that she's just a temporary yeoman because I don't know, she just seems like they needed a yeoman and I'm guessing Rand wasn't available so they got another actress in. We'll remember her name and take more notice of her if she comes up again in future episodes, but it did seem like she's a bit of an extra. Now she comes down and then things start getting weird like the Doctor and Kurt go off to find this rabbit and this girl. Which leaves Sulu and the Yeoman behind, who decide to investigate a few other things. Now, oh, I should mention before this, Sulu was firing off a revolver that he found behind a tree because he thought it was a cool gun just wanted to shoot, which I found funny, like this botanist. They're not really, unless you're in Starfleet security... You don't tend to see many characters like being interested in weapons all that much. It doesn't seem to be like something they find cool or that they're that into. Like their culture is just moved beyond that. But he gets excited. He loves it. He starts firing. I mean, you know, the Doctor and Kirk and all that run over and they end up confiscating it off him. Because as they say, you're getting a bit trigger happy here. There's other people around. We'll, we'll look into this. And they scan the gun and the gun shows no difference to the trees around them cellularly. As, as far as the scanner can tell, the gun isn't there. So, like I said, they break up. Kirk and that go looking for the rabbit. The Doctor and the Yeoman go off, and things just keep getting weirder. We skip between, there's another group with Rodriguez and this other girl who get attacked by a tiger. Then they get strafed by a World War II plane. Spock... Oh, sorry, Yeoman also gets uh, assassinated, I was going to say. She doesn't get assassinated, she gets assaulted. Like, this guy comes up to her and goes to grab her and, like... I think he was going to rob her and then, like, kidnap her, but he sort of just ripped her shirt a little bit and then the others responded and he runs off, but she got assaulted by a man who... I didn't actually write what it was, but they say a name. It's, like, Alge One or something. If I had to guess, it's probably some other folk fairy tale on a similar level to Alice in Wonderland. Probably a Spanish one. You know, as an American studio, they probably do a lot of Spanish stuff more than I would hear here in Australia. So he probably is a very well-known character. I've just personally didn't recognize the name. Uh, Sulu ends up running into a samurai later on. Now, the scariest one is McCoy. He sees a jouster appear. Like a man in armor with a big lance on a horse. And he tells the yeoman, stand aside, and he says, these are just dreams. It's all imaginary. It's all hallucinations. It can't hurt you. And he stands his ground, which, you know, in his defense, at that moment, given what all the tricorders are showing them and the fact that the ship scanned no life, it's a fair assumption to assume that these things are some form of hallucination or illusion. 
Except one problem is that this one doesn't appear to be. It stabs him straight through the chest. And there's now a big bloody hole in his chest. He falls to the ground. As Kirk and Spot come running around the corner. And Kirk fires that revolver he took off Sulu at the night a few times until he falls. Which, you know, is a... It's an image I didn't really think I'd get today of Kirk with a like old old Western revolver coming around a tree branch firing at a jousting knight. It's something I didn't know I needed to see, but I saw it and I enjoyed it. So basically everything's getting weird and it just keeps getting weirder. And Spock makes a discovery from the ship, but as all this has been going on, they've been trying to communicate with each other to update each other on things. But when Kirk told Rodriguez we need to get back to the Glade, Rodriguez went to tell everyone else on the planet about that, and the communications basically started going faulty. Everyone got the message to get back to the Glade, but that was it. They couldn't communicate with each other past that point. So everything they were seeing in all these illusions or hallucinations, they weren't able to inform each other until they got back to the Glade. Now, Spock discovered something about all this from up on the ship. However, because communications were down, there was no way to communicate. So he ended up coming straight down, he got transported down to the Glade himself to come and inform them that he had, with the ship's sensors, managed to pick up on some energy, high-level energy readings, he said. High-level energy readings that are sort of come from like an industrial basis, or at least a high-tech society. He couldn't work out what they were, but they were coming from underground. Now... Because he had no way of actually telling anyone that, he ends up transporting down, which is really difficult. He almost can't transport through, and after a while of a delay of him trying to transport through, he eventually gets through and tells the captain, well, until we can work out what's going on and shut down this, this generator or whatever it is underground that's causing this problem, we're not going to be able to transport through. Even that one was iffy. But he tells them all about what he's found, and he has a hypothesis that whatever it is, this environment seems to be reacting to everyone's thoughts. It's creating things based on what you're thinking about right now. Somehow, he presumes that underground they're creating things from their thoughts. It's also what's causing the communications. He presumes it's all coming from the same spot and tries to get everyone to contain their minds a little bit. Which is harder for most people than it is for a Vulcan. And then we get a weird scene of Kirk... Now, we saw earlier in the episode this guy Finnegan, who Kirk talked about bullying him basically back when he was going through Starfleet. Because Kirk, as as good a leader as he is now, like Kirk, we've heard this reference once or twice now. Like, he was a real book nerd when it came to going to Starfleet Academy. He was always studying, he was always in the library, he didn't really do a whole lot of partying. So, you know, he got bullied. And we get to hear about this guy Finnegan who bullied him, and because of what the planet's doing, earlier we saw Finnegan. Now, he stopped being around Finnegan because that's when we heard the gunshots with Sulu playing around earlier, so he ran off, leaving Finnegan behind. But now, at this point, Finnegan arrives back. And he's pissed, because as far as he's concerned, Dr. McCoy just got stabbed with a lance and is now dead on the floor. He's pissed at everything that's going on, and he wants to take it out on someone, and he is that bully that he just wants to beat up in his face again. And he does. We get a pretty decent battle scene where, like, Kirk's uniform gets all torn up, so his arm and half his chest is hanging out. And he's just beating the absolute shit out of this guy Finnegan. He just goes to town on this guy. Which is kind of satisfying to watch, you know? He's beating the shit out of his bully. But eventually, uh, he finishes that off and Spock and Kirk, did, and well, Spock comes to Kirk and says, we need to control our thoughts. 
says we need to control your mind you need to not think of these things so they don't appear and we need to get to this location so we can take it out so they try that but it doesn't work very well because they start talking about all the dangers that there could be and kirk mentions how they saw a tiger before and then the tiger appears right there in front of them so they turn around they try and run so they've got this huge tiger which by the way Obviously, they didn't get a real tiger when they filmed this. They've cut what looks like footage from like some kind of National Geographic or documentary of a tiger that's filmed with a very, very old, shaky video camera. Was cut in between these scenes, and you can tell like all around the tiger, it's like yellowy grass. Everything looks sort of dead savannah-ish. And then it cuts back to Kirk and Spock when they're trying to make it look like the tiger's right there chasing him, but everything around them is thick and green like a rainforest so you could just tell it doesn't take much attention to detail to see just how cut together that is they didn't cgi it nor did they bring in a real tiger they just literally cut footage from an old documentary or something from a tiger and put it in i mean look it doesn't look great but it does work i get the picture there's a tiger behind them they're reacting pretty well with their acting to the tiger and they're running it's it, it's possible but anyway, we get this scene, and this is a scene that, even in my mind when I first watched this, was like, this is amazing. Spock and Kirk, they're running from a tiger, because like I said, this tiger's behind them. It's meant to have appeared not far, so they run around this big rock. Then they're in this weird, what do you call it? It's like a path between two rocky, two rock cliffs, sort of on either side as they're running. There's not much room to like really leave the road. And then we see the World War II plane from earlier, Starts strafing them. Starts firing down on their position over and over as they're running. And then the samurai that attacks Sulu appears in front of them. And they're like both beating the shit out of the samurai as fast as they can as the plane is strafing all above. And we can still hear a tiger like growling in the background. And I was just... The intensity of that scene from an episode that started off about Shore Leave with an Alice of Wonderland reference was incredible. I love seeing him run. And mind you, he's still got the revolver on his hip because it's still the only weapon they have that's functioning. So I forgot to mention, when the communicators went down, their phasers also drained of power somehow. So that revolver is the one weapon any of them on the crew right now have to defend themselves. So Kirk's keeping it on his side, which adds to the humor of all the ridiculous things that are happening to him right now as he's running with an actual fucking like cowboy revolver on his hip. Like, this may as well be some wacky kid story. I mean, eventually, they hit a point where this old man in a robe comes out, and he explains that he's this planet's caretaker, and that this species designed this planet to be nothing more than entertaining. But he's realized now, and he apologizes and says, I did not realize until just now that your brains, being a little less sophisticated than ours, were unable to determine that these were illusions and that none of this was real. This is just a planet that's created to give you what you want. You've accessed, without understanding that, you've been creating what you fear. Fear, and we greatly apologize for that. And they're basically, you know, he's a good guy. He comes out and he fixes all the problems. But Kirk's still pissed. He's like, what about McCoy? And then we get McCoy comes around the corner. And he says, dead? I'm not dead. He's got two girls, one on each arm. He's got a drink in his hand. And he says, oh... Because I got stabbed by that thing, and then they took me down underground, and they had this factory down there. They did a little work to fix me up. It's amazing the things they can do. 
and he's all happy talking about how they fixed him up and he's got a girl on each arm and he's like, this place is great, Jim. <laughs> so, you know, it's a real kind of corny ending for what is a very, very strange episode. Everyone's alive, everyone's happy, the planet is everything they needed it to be. I am kind of interested why this planet never came up again, because I feel like everyone goes to Riser lately, or a few other planets, whereas this Shoreleaf planet, if it can do what they're saying it can do, I feel like this would be tourist location number one. But then again, later on they have holodecks, which kind of just create whatever you want using the computer in a fairly real setting where everything feels, tastes, and looks real. So... I guess later on they kind of have this planet portably in a room on each ship. But whatever. But anyway, that's this episode. So it, Like I said, this is a part of a weird legacy of episodes. And in particular, I wanted to talk about... It hasn't really come up yet, but Gene Roddenberry had some interesting ideas on the universe that, funny enough, you know, have kind of come full circle, and it's now been long enough that people are picking them up again and starting to question how much merit they had and whether they're useful. And it seems like some of it might be feasible, some of it might not. But it's this idea that thought is more connected with the universe than anything else. It's that weird idea that you can manifest things and all that stuff. It's it's very complicated, and that's a very basic breakdown. The probably one you've heard with a lot of like false salespeople trying to make money out of it. But it is a concept that the universe is affected by your thoughts and that your thoughts are more powerful as a sentient being in the galaxy than we realize maybe that's true maybe it's not but it is a theory and it's one that gene roddenberry a star trek creator seemed to hold pretty dear because he wrote it into a lot of things you'll see especially in next generation there's a character called actually funny enough this planet's caretaker but um that character is also called the caretaker no well, yes, the caretaker is another creature, funny enough. Not the one I was trying to reference, but he's from Star Trek Voyager, and he can do a similar thing. But it's not the caretaker. The Traveler. That's the name I'm trying to think of. The Traveler is the character from Next Generation that I'm thinking of, with the whole thought thought and the universe being one, which is a... It's an interesting theory. It's something that I think he wanted to put into his science fiction work a little bit, which, you know what? Good on him for that. That's fine. It's his creation. You're allowed to do that. You know, it's his creation. You're allowed to put your own weird little theories in if you manage to make something that gets as big as this, because that's part of the privilege of writing something like this. So, you know, whether it turns out one day to all be bullshit, or whether it turns out to be right, he put out the theory anyway, and we all get to think about it and discuss it, and he got it into circulation where people could talk about it, which I suppose is kind of the point of doing any form of art like this. Anyway... That's the end of this episode. So next week we'll be returning with an episode called The Galileo 7, which I think I remember. However, it's been a while, so we'll see. We'll see you next week. Now, if you wish to have any questions or want to say anything about the episodes, your opinions, feel free to contact me, Federation Radio Star Trek at gmail.com. Federation Radio Star Trek at gmail.com and that is all one word no spaces i'll see you all next week